one of the jobs I had, I had to take minutes for meetings. And one of the things that I found is that, well, whichever side of the brain it is, is listening to what's going on and you're taking notes. The other side of my brain was doodling. And I have pages, and I save them, pages and pages of men, uh, weird things that I doodle, uh, birds that I doodle, and, and all of it was done without knowing. I never said, I'm going to draw a bird, or I'm going to draw a funny-looking fellow or something. I was always listening, and I would just start with a little arc or something, and then just start, it, and it came. And it was never any conscious thinking. It just came out with pen. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, their writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Jane Bryce Burdell, a fiction author who has just penned her first children's book. Jane, as you will soon note, was born and raised in England. She came to see the United States in 1967, and 50 years and a husband later, she's still hanging out with us. She worked in administration with the United Methodist Church in New Jersey for more than 30 years, and she now lives in Berlin, Maryland with her husband. She picked up her pen and became both author and illustrator for her first children's book, 123 Acorn Street recently published by Saltwater Media earlier this month. So welcome to the podcast, Jane. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I know, and I think you're the first uh, non, um, non-boring American accent that we've had. So I was very excited to get... Maybe this is our international podcast. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, one of the things that I kind of wanted to uh, to talk about right away, because you and I worked uh, for, for several months pulling together um, 123 Acorn Street. Yes. And one of the things that... I love about the job that I have and being with Saltwater and meeting all these people is I love the stories behind the stories. I love why people write the things they do. And I know that when we were talking about 123 Acorn Street, that was born from a very real, that that was born from real stuff for you. Yes. um, It was uh, basically um, my continual looking at four ornaments that were on my kitchen windowsill. And um, each of them looks in a different direction. Um, I don't know how, when that hit me as something significant, because I know I looked at them for a good number of years <laughs> before I was able to begin to develop an idea about um, how I could incorporate these ornaments into a story. Um, and one of the things that I was able to do because of these particular ornaments, um, was used them uh, in order to, in a way, give children an understanding about life without making it, you know, something really tough or boring or whatever. But hearing these or reading about these creatures, so to speak, discovering something for themselves... Um, is a way that young people who read the book can also say, oh, wait a minute, I can do the same thing. And um, so that's basically kind of how it started. Yeah, so you're just standing there doing dishes and you're just staring at a pig that's looking one way and this guy's looking up and this guy's always looking down. That's correct, yes. And so then it kind of just kind of coalesces for you. Right, right. And 
Um, it also, the, the, the little pig, the little old ugly cracked pig, um, is the one that gets everything going. And, and so this is something, again, that you wouldn't think this little insignificant, even ugly uh, piggy could get something moving. And she did, and they paid attention, um, and eventually all became friends. Now, when you were telling the story just now, it seemed to me like your your first inclination was that there's a story here. Um, and your second inclination was, like, how do you get the children's book from story? Like... Because at first you're like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? I mean, that's how fiction starts. But like, I would never say, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? And also, if kids could read it. Usually, mm. I'm like, kids shouldn't ever read this. Um, I think I've always enjoyed writing, even even when I had to do essays at school. Right, <laughs> I'd like to do that. Um, but I think probably what moved me to think about writing children's stories was my granddaughter, um, who would often stay with us uh, right from childhood, well, babyhood, I should say. And um, one of the things that I always made a point of doing when she was staying with us uh, at nighttime, I would read her a story to help her go to sleep, basically. But she really enjoyed it, um, and to the extent that we began kind of making up stories ourselves uh. together. And, and then... What, as that happened, then I thought, well, wait a minute, maybe I can actually write a story. So I think I, she, she pushed me. She didn't know it, but she pushed me. <laughs> so then the, so the, the thought of um, that sort of grandmotherly instinct to tell stories mm-hmm. and nurture and then kind of invent these little characters together then bleeds over into, hey, you know what? There might be some other kids that might get value from some of the... And what I what I really liked about the 1, 2, 3, 8 question was it's not an obvious lesson. It's not like, hey, kids, you're going to read this story and this is the uh-huh. the, the, the moral of the story. Right. They're just these really adorable, cute stories, but through the stories, kids are going to learn that it's okay to be a little different or, you know, what it's like to be outside or lost or, you know, separated from, from your people. And so... I think that was one of the things that I thought that I really liked about it was I felt like it, you're not beating him over the head with a, with a moral, but at the same time you've got these really cute mm-hmm. little pieces. So I, you know, is this sort of like the, the grandmotherly instinct? Is that a writerly instinct? But I feel like with you, it kind of was both. Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting because, um, throughout my married life, particularly, um, I've, well, my husband and I have always had, different children living with us for whatever reason. Um, I never actually had any children of my own, but I realized that if I had, I would never have experienced, I'm not going to say hundreds, but uh, a good number of children, different ages. And um, one of the things that I've discovered, I guess, um, dealing with the children is that... um, Unlike my childhood, <laughs> you don't shove things down children's throats. Right. You have to help them understand why something is wrong or something is right or why they should do this or do that. But you have to help them understand it so they're able to accept it and, and deal with it rather than just saying, because I said so. Stiff upper lip. <laughs> <laughs> now, so 
Are you talking about did you did you foster children or did you had adoptive children? No, or? no, they were. It was like we had um, we had a mother with a six year old daughter who she needed somewhere to stay, so she stayed with us and was that kind of thing more than actually fostering or adopting. Well, that's interesting. And this is and how do you, how do you how do you how do you get to the place where you're like yes, come and stay with us and 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 we'll get you straight. Um. Well, first of all, we had the space in our house, right? And um, and it was it was it was a very it was a perfect space, really, because my husband and I were able to live downstairs, and upstairs were two bedrooms and a bathroom, so that whoever was staying with us could kind of be private if they wanted to, and so on. Um, we had the space. We like to help people, and. Um, that's basically, it's just that simple. That's crazy. I mean, I have a safe space, but I don't like people, so. <laughs> no one would ever guess, Tony. <laughs> no, no one would ever live with me like, unless knowing, they were had to anyway. This is probably true. Like, knowing Jane as I do, like, she's such an exceptionally kind and warm person, and that doesn't even surprise <laughs> me a bit. So, you know, in thinking about when we were kind of going through 123 Acorn Street, and also you did a reading um, at our our Maryland Writers Association, we have a Berlin chapter, and so what, this is like I'm just going to recount one of my favorite moments. But um, so we have this writers group, and Jane says, "Oh, I'll I'll read," or you know, I'm trying to I can't do the British accent, but Jane says, "Oh, I'll read something." I'm thinking, "Oh, great, this is awesome," and she's like, "It's a little risque," and I was thinking like. Oh, Jane, okay, how, how risque could it be? And so she shows up to our writer's meeting, and there was this very risque uh, piece that you had written about a corkscrew. Right. And, uh, and I was like, wow, this is, a real, uh, this is a real diametrically opposed moment from you know the cute kid story, and now we have this very risque story. But it was interesting to me that it was still these inanimate objects that kind of make you, that, if, that you know, whether it be, an imagination in sort of a very, you know, pure and simple in, in this way, or whether it's a really risque story that sort of, you know, we have the Queen's English telling a very, uh, you know, screwy story. Um, you know, so I think what was, what was interesting to me was, you know, number one, to see that, like, that level of, like, how, you know, your brain as a writer mm-hmm. moves, but mm-hmm. also to see that, you know, these little things just inspire you and, and take you. So how do you... I mean, does that just happen to you, like, all the time, or...? Um, well, one thing I'll say is that I grew up with two brothers, and I'm in the middle of them, so one older, one younger. Um, and my father had a very good sense of humor, and, in fact, at dinner time, uh, you know, we'd all be back from school, and he would be back from work, and we'd be sitting, and he would tell us whatever joke he had heard that day at, at the office, and we as kids would also tell whatever jokes, which were not that funny, you know, that we right. had at school. Sure. But um, a sense of humor is something that I absolutely treasure. And um, I think it gives you a way of looking at things differently. Oh, sure. Either seriously or a little risque or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, again, I think a, a sense of humor is a very good asset when you are dealing with children. Oh, absolutely. And I think that sort of comes through. There's a few, there's a one uh, chapter that where the, the socks get mm-hmm. separated from, from their girl, from right. their owner. And so there's like this moment of like despair or whatever, but, and I think for there are moments for kids where 
there is separation. Um, there's like an unknown, there's a, there's discord. Mm-hmm. And so kids are always sort of like, Hey, you know, it's, it's me and my sibling or my, my pair in that story, like my pair sock. Right. So we're trying to figure out how to navigate this, but you know, the way that you approach those stories with humor and kindness. And I think, I think is is a very reassuring thing for, for kids. Yeah. Um, one of the things I found with with uh, most of the children, um, I would see how they or their parents interacted with them often. And I, I could just see, you know, here I am standing back and saying, no, 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 <laughs> that doesn't work, you know. And um, one of them was, he was actually a ne- uh, nephew of ours, um, and they had, he and his parents had come to stay. And he was, um, he was a naughty little boy. He, he really was. Um, and he would do things, I mean, one of the things I remember him doing, he kept running and jumping over the couch. Now, his parents let him do it at least three times before they said, don't do that. Well, come on already. You stop them immediately if they're right. not supposed to do it. Right. Anyway, um, his mom and dad... Um, this was when we were in New Jersey. His mum and dad had gone into New York, you know, to look around and all of them, and he stayed with me. And um, we sat on the couch and we watched some TV and we talked. You know, I'm, I do believe in talking to children because they like to talk too. Right. And, and they can express themselves, you know, so I do believe. And um, so he was very quiet. He listened, you know, all of that. And then when I went to get dinner, he came out into the kitchen and um, I said you want to do some painting? Because I, I have all of the children that come, came and stayed with me or whatever. Oh, um, they painted and they did art, arts and crafts and stuff like that. So he was at the kitchen table painting, quiet, enjoying himself. And uh, his parents came in and dad came into the kitchen and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm painting, look. And his dad said, oh, that's sissy stuff. Oh, no. <sighs> so, oh, no. you know, that's... That's why, you know, you come, parents don't realize the damage that they can do unintentionally, you know, sure. to their children. Oh, so. gosh. <laughs> oh, then that makes me really sad. That's okay. It, it's, it's, I'm sorry. It's okay, like, just the, the different things that, that girls have to put up with and the different things that boys have to put up with. Well, and it's that's just, true. That's true. That's it's true. just, I, I was, I was beaten for playing with a doll when I was a little boy. Okay. But, but it yeah. didn't, well, it didn't make, it didn't, too. it didn't harden my heart in any way. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> what I wanted to ask was, uh, when, you, when you mentioned the art, you, you did the art for the book as well. Yes. Uh, can you talk about like, the decision that you would do your own art? Like, did you have an art background? Is that, you, did you always had painting around the house, but was that for you as well as for the children? Or? Um, yeah. I, um, I've always enjoyed art. Um, and, I mean, I, I had art lessons at school, but beyond that, you know, didn't have any. But I'm always doing things with my hands and so on. Um, and I just, um, I just wanted to illustrate it myself, really. And, and I think partly because I wanted to convey how I imagined, for right. example, the socks to look. Mm-hmm. I didn't want just a pair of socks, you know, that everyone has. You know, they got to have a face and an expression <laughs> and all of that, and the stockings and so on. So, when we were interviewing Barbara Lockhart, mm-hmm. she was talking about how you, you how she, 
actually her daughter used the pictures to move the narrative forward mm-hmm. a little bit as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Did you have to make any tough choices about what's going to be words and what's going to be pictures no. or? No, no, it was, um, no, that was, um, I, I, wrote, I guess it's all in your head. So it, yeah, I mean, I wrote the story first and then as I looked at it, I said, well, what do I want? How, how do I want to illustrate? I see. Know? Right. So the illustrations became more of a compliment to, yeah, to, you know, to the text that was already done. Right. Yeah. 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 So we had the blue pig and the cat and the other pig and the, and the duck and all those, those guys are sitting yeah. right. And I, if you take a look at the, at, uh, um, online, we'll have a picture of her with, with the characters from the book. They're, no, they're, you don't have the socks and the pantyhose though. No, of course they're imaginary. They, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but they are here in the studio. Absolutely. So, um, but I will say, I just, the other thing that, that has always intrigued me. Um, one of the jobs I had, I had to take minutes for meetings. And one of the things that I found is that, while whichever side of the brain it is, is listening to what's going on and you're taking notes, the other side of my brain was doodling. Mm-hmm. And I have ah. pages, and I save them, pages and pages of, of men, uh, weird things that I doodled, um, birds that I doodled, and, and all of it was done without knowing. I never said, I'm going to draw a bird. Right. Or I'm going to draw a funny-looking fellow or something. I was always listening, and I would just start with a little arc or something, and then just start it, and it came. And it was never any conscious thinking. It just came out with a pen. And I think there are people who doodle and people who don't. Like, I, I'm not one of them. I'll, I mean, I'll doodle intentionally, but never absentmindedly. But there are a class of people who I know who doodle absentmindedly mm-hmm. yeah i'm wondering if you're in that i but my doodles never ever look like anything it's just like a i would make like a circle and then just like mm-hmm. i don't know very very abstract i'm not i'm not an illustrator there's no way i could have done what what jane did with illustrate and write a story but, but do you know you're doodling oh gosh do i know because i've heard I've, i mean as someone it's like like anything else that you can't do yourself I'm always amazed at people who, I guess it's also a telephone thing. Like people would do it when they were on the telephone. Yeah. Uh, there was always a pad by the telephone and people would doodle. And I, you know, my, my mother, my mother would, mm-hmm. would, would doodle sometimes. And it was just nothing that ever. It's, it's interesting because, as I say, some of the doodles I did were, you know, people or, you know, dogs, cats, whatever. Some of those doodles, are, I think, are going to be included in whatever some oh, of my stories will be. <laughs> All right. But, but, but the other thing is there were often ones that I did that were designs. I guess that's the best way I can say well, it. Well, abstract and representational. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Very good. Yes. Yeah. We've gone from doodle to abstract yeah. representations. Well, but it, it was very interesting to me how you... How your brain, because it is your brain doing right. it, um, just keeps, and, I, it, and it, they would be very, very intricate. But none of it, as I say again, none of it was, oh, now I'm going to put, you know, five squares here and three lines here. It just It just evolved. happened, yeah. 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 So I think, I don't know, maybe that's like a sign of a genius or something. <laughs> that would be, I think that would be, we should, we should look that up. <laughs> We mentioned a little bit earlier the, uh, the we'll have the pictures of the of the mm-hmm. little animals. Yes. Um, when you're 
doing that kind of anthropomorphic writing is do you find it difficult to like what would a pig think do you do you have to not not at all no they're people mm-hmm. so they're so they're people and you write them as people even though they're are they based on real people you know no or, oh okay yeah no. that's what i was no yeah. no oh. they're not um just trying to think. No, they're not based on, on real people, but they take on a character of their own. Gotcha. Um, and I guess in a way, I would say, um, I think all animals have their own personality and their own character. So I, I don't, I don't yeah. disagree, but there's something about writing about a pig who knows it's cracked. Mm-hmm. That seems pretty. That seems pretty specific. Like that is a character that seems like it would be uh, difficult. Not difficult to. De- yeah, difficult. I'll say difficult to develop. And then you could correct me. Um. Well, she definitely seemed to. Uh, that character definitely seemed to. The cracked pig definitely seemed to know about the crack and to know how she got that way. And because yeah. there's a whole component about forgiving how she got right. cracked. Right. Yes. So I think that. I yeah. think that maybe is. He's poorly going there, but I think that's where he's, where he's trying to head. Well, I think um, she knows she's cracked because she remembers what happened because the cat knocked her off the windowsill, but she didn't break apart. Right. And that's why she's at the end of the windowsill. So she knows she's not perfect, really. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in, in the first chapter, when Bonnie comes in from the backyard and puts some flowers in her, that just makes the little pig feel, oh, I'm not so bad after all, because someone has noticed her, which again is important, you know. In right, life, yeah. You know. But then that's sort of like objects feeling inferior and superior. Right, right. And then so she feels happy about herself, and that's when she starts going, you know, oink, 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 mm. and that's when the other creature or the other pig hears her and wonders what's going on. So that's, you know, it's like a, a a good gesture, in a way, mm-hmm. can start a whole a whole load of things happening that can benefit people. So. But I think, and I think part of what like I saw in that is, you know, especially for young girls. I mean, there's so much stress on how, how we look, look and yes. how we appear mm-hmm. and those things. And so immediately, I sort of connected with that cracked mm. pig when she's having this. Like, there's this really kind of this moment where she's really sad because she's cracked and she doesn't not feel attractive, but she doesn't feel like the others. And there's this kind of this moment of, you know, what it means to be scarred. And I'm not trying to over, I'm not trying to overstate, you know, a a kid's book, but I think there's the, there's this real moment where the pig is having this, the cracked pigs having this dialogue about, has to deal with it. Yeah. And has to deal with it and has to kind of come to that. And I, and I think even as an adult reader looking at that, I could see a, a young child saying, Oh, well, you know, whatever it may be about me, yeah, you know, having that connection. And I think when you're doing work, especially for kids, well, I think writers in general, we want to connect with our audience, but I think with kids making that connection, I think has to be, has to be more delicate or, yeah. Yeah. And didn't you have a kid that was reading your book recently? Yes. Um, it was a couple of weeks ago. I gave it to him in church and uh, he started to read it, but then, you know, obviously had to go home. He didn't come to church the next... Well, he did. He was there 
briefly. I didn't realize. Um, I was able to ask him if he enjoyed it, and he said, yes, he did. <laughs> But then he had to leave because he wasn't feeling very well, apparently. So I haven't really had a chance to talk to him about it. But um, from the expression on his face, I think he did enjoy it. And he's Good. 10 years old, so, yeah, yeah. So... I'll let you go in the pig thing, but now we're going to talk about the uh, the, the 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 cork, the wine, the, the wine opener. Yeah, right, right. We'll get back to the so there seems to be like this this attraction to writing about um, inanimate to to to, to personify. Yeah, inanimate objects. So to 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 give them. Mm. Is, is that is that a theme or is that a, uh, just a coincidence? No, I think it's just a coincidence, and it's. Um, <laughs> Really, uh, because I do have a cockalusa, <laughs> right? And it just it just hit me one day. You know, I would open, I'd open a wine bottle, and you know, and then you know, playing around with words to give her a name, and and the whole thing with what a corkscrew does, and all of that. It was just fun. But when there's but there's some whimsy involved in in a life where you're like, what does this guy think? I mean, maybe it's just because I'm so <laughs> literal minded. But it's you know, I I. I refer to, I refer to things as you know, give me the guy, or you know, I I give them genders just mm-hmm. to be silly, but I don't think about their inner lives, and especially not enough to write about them. So I think it's it's neat that you can spark up on, hey, what's the inner life of this corkscrew mm. like? Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you can kind of struggle through where that comes from. Is that does that come from any place, or just? part of your regular practice or i i think i would say that it as i've kind of referred to before i think it it comes from my sense of humor and then just my imagination and the two and being able to be vulgar too right <laughs> with, with proper english being yes. there's something about for an american anyway that the downton abbey accent with a vulgar story about a corkscrew was just i think everyone just sat there with their mouths like what is happening right now but what i loved about that particular story um was there was such a playfulness with language Mm -hmm. and yeah you know and i think that i don't know maybe is that like i want it I want so much for that playfulness from language because you're British and you came to America and you're just like, you guys are doing everything wrong, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that there's, there's a playfulness, especially in that particular story, although it went risque and all, but I, I loved that way that you sort of like, you know, the, the arms of the corkscrew kind of became legs. And I mean, there was this well, whole, this whole notion just... of it. <laughs> Maybe I should say I like sex as well. <laughs> <laughs> and we just got an E. Right. <laughs> and well, the other the other thing that I thought was was kind of important to bring out is that there's a distance. And we talk about this pretty regularly, but there's a distance between thinking that's a cool idea and that's a cool idea that I have to tease out and write mm. and share with people. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that. Just like there are some people who doodle and some people who don't, I think that there's something about uh, a writer that wants to take this neat idea and expand upon it on paper and share it. Right? It's not journaling. It's right, not right. you're 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 saying, "Hey, I think this is cool," and I think you'll think this is cool as well. Right. And in fact, when I had uh, written the Corcalusa story, um, I did send it to. My two brothers and two or three other guys that are my friends that I knew would also enjoy it. So I, I didn't just keep it to myself. Right. 
Yeah, and I think that, you know, there's lots of things that writers do. I mean, I, I know that I have an entire notebook full of ideas that, like, I was like, oh, this is a great idea. And, like, halfway through it, I was like, and it's done. I've lost it. It's not that good of an idea, you know. So I think sometimes you start to flesh out an idea and maybe it doesn't work. But I definitely think that, you know, staring at those four figurines mm. on your kitchen sink, I think that definitely. And then maybe over time, just like thinking about where, you know, giving them that personality. Um, that definitely seemed to, to lend itself to not dying in a notebook somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things, too, I have to say about uh, 123 Acorn Street is originally my story was just what is now the first chapter about the the ornaments on the windowsill. Right. Um, and when I came to share it with Stephanie, uh, she said she liked it, but she said, can't you can't you write some more to it? And as it happened, the piece about the socks actually did happen. (laughs) (laughs) Because my granddaughter had left her pair of socks at the bottom of the bed when she had stayed with us one weekend. And I actually emailed her a story, which was here, about what I did, how I heard them crying and all of that. Right, that's wonderful. Whatever. And I happened to bring it when I came to see Stephanie. And then when she said, well, can't you add more to it? I said, well, read this and see. And she said, yeah. So then I kind of expanded it to include the socks and the everything. So Because it really seemed like the what was happening at 123 Acorn Street was that things were kind of coming to life. And I was like, what? And like, even the cat kind of plays a, you know, yeah. S- Smokey the cat kind of plays a role and then there's stockings and socks. And so there, as she was kind of going over this, I was like, you know, it seems like it's sort of like the house. You know, it's kind of allowing these interesting things to, to happen. And it, I don't know. I just, it was a really, it was a really cool project to work on. <laughs> Excellent. And so as we begin to wind up the show, I just want to check really quick and see, Besides coming on uh, international podcasts, what, what, how else do you, do you promote yourself? What, what, what means by what means? <laughs> well, this is all very new to me. <laughs> so I haven't done any real promoting. But um, Yeah, we just, it literally just came out yeah. uh, not too long ago. So right. we're, we're still yeah. uh, in the... And I, um, from what Stephanie has told me, we're on, um, or I'm on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and um, Ben, whom I was talking mm-hmm. with, suggested that uh, I should see if it wouldn't, if the Worcester County Schools would be interested in it. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, so um, I think I can probably pursue that with some folk I know and see. Um, beyond that, I haven't really, you know, we're, I. We're just winding up with it. Yeah. Oh, very exciting. Well, I so, mean, well, excellent. Then, then good luck. Thank you. And um, do we have any fan mail this We don't have any fan mail that this That is week. heartbreaking. The I thing. know. We had three <laughs> and we went straight to zero. So. Easter famine. But I will tell, but uh, after we read the fan mail, uh, the fellow from Delmarva Public Radio tweeted that we read the fan mail, so at least uh, I can report that. There that's, was a, another tweet that headed our way. That's and fine. And actually, we don't want fan mail. Like, we don't want to hear how wonderful we are. But what we do ask is that if you're interested, um, you can send us a word, and we will make it into either a limerick. No, into a limerick and into a haiku. I do limericks, and Stephanie does haikus. And we will send them back to you on uh, actual 
postcard by the by the U.S. mail. Yeah. So um, you pick a word, we'll make a limerick and a haiku, a haiku and uh, and we'll send it back to you. And it's just it's just a fun way to stay engaged. And what's the uh, so it is podcast at saltwatermedia.com and I will uh, check that every morning when I come in. So if you just drop us a an email with an address and you can pick a word. Um, we've had some, we had a weird one for sure. Uh, and if you don't pick a word, then we'll pick one out of Tony's book for you. <laughs> we'll pick one for you. And um, you can find me on Twitter. My name is uh, Tony Russo Backwards. So that's O-S-S-U-R-Y-N-O-T. And uh, Stephanie? I'm Steph L. Fowler on Twitter. And uh, now, Stephanie, this is the part of the show where you thank the guest. All right. Well, Jane, thank you so much for coming on the on this podcast. I've loved having you here. Thank you very much. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, talking with both of you. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Want to hear more? Visit www.saltwatermedia.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. Want other people to hear more? Give us a great review there. Tell your story.